Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2 this morning that uh, we have known in uh, looking at this book of Malachi, we've covered it several times and uh, reminders as we've been going through this book that, uh, yes, God is a God of love. He is a God of mercy. He is a God who provides salvation. Um, but he is also a God that hates certain things. He is also a God that makes it clear that he doesn't like when his children or people in this world do certain things. And uh, this morning, we're going to touch base on something again uh, as we've been looking at this book and introducing the fact that there are nine different things that God is frustrated with his people about. Well, uh, we're going to hit one of them again this morning, and we're only going to get as far as one verse, the last verse in this chapter. But I think it's important that we see that God is wearied by behavior that his people are doing. And um, as we'll see this morning, it wasn't just the people in Malachi's day. It has always been. God gets wearied by our behavior. Look, if you would, with me, please, to Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, when, uh, wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, every one that doeth good, uh, evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he that delighteth in them. Let me try that again. Every one that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or, where is the God of judgment? Let's pray. Father, I am in no place, no way capable of truly sharing these thoughts as an authority, Lord. Every time we get up to stand or open your word, it is a privilege. Lord, and these words are so powerful, so pertinent. The Lord, I depend wholly on your Holy Spirit this morning to be the teacher, to be the one that convinces and convicts. Lord, because I also am a sinner, not above any of the things that we're going to talk about today. But Father, there is certainly a clear message here that you get fed up with certain behaviors. And Father, it's important for us to realize this and to remember this. Lord, across the board in Christendom, we've lost some of this truth. And Lord, we certainly need, need to be reminded, and Lord, to understand that you have rules, standards, Lord, that you have set moral guidelines. And because we may think differently doesn't mean that they have changed. And so, Father, please uh, be with my mind. We will share some harsh things today when it comes to the thinking in this world. But, Lord, it's important that we understand how you think, how you feel. Father, what your thoughts are on this matter. So, Lord, uh, just be with us as we investigate your word today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. says here that God is wearied by their words. 
Um, now, how many of you have been weary? Okay, I, I don't know. I was talking to Dan, and we were mentioning the, them gone away last week, uh, hauling wood. What, like five cords in two days, cut, split, delivered, stacked, uh, numbered, yeah, I mean, everything. They did it. They were wearied. Okay, how many, you, you ever been that way? You're working real hard, you get tired. Okay, I want a reminder. That's us. Go to the next slide. Right off the bat, I want to remember, please remember that God does not get tired. Okay, so we want to make sure we understand this. When it says the Lord is wearied, it doesn't mean the Lord needs a nap. Okay? It's funny to me uh, how, how often adults, kids hate going to get put down to nap, right? But you get to be an adult, you love a nap. It was just like a nap. Okay? Because you can get wearied, right? Listen to this verse here in Isaiah. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. We know that God doesn't get tired. So he's trying to say something a little bit different here. Okay, go to the next slide. Have you ever been physically tired? How about mentally tired? Come on, you had not done anything except for think. Deal with people, deal with, uh, you know, phone calls and paperwork and everything, and you can be absolutely exhausted. Matter of fact, sometimes more exhausted, you wish you were actually out doing something physical. Okay, there are times, and I've been like, just get me away from this. I want to just, let me go split wood or mow the lawn or do some, I just need to get away from this. I need a mental break. You ever been there? Well, isn't it a pleasure to know that God doesn't feel that way either? Okay, there's never a point in God's life where he is mentally stressed. So what are we talking about here? God does not have, oops, nope, nope, go back to that. Okay, God does not have that problem. However, God certainly gets fed up with certain things. You ever use that word that you're just weary because of you're just tired of what's going on? I'll tell you what, I look around this world right now and I'm just wearied with the stuff that's going on. I'm not necessarily physically tired, I'm not mentally tired, but I'm just fed up with hearing it. I'm done with all the wokeness in this world. And I know that is a political term, but by the time we're done today, I think you'll understand where God fits this word. We may have newly defined that word but it's not a new concept. God himself gets fed up. And we've been looking at that in this book already. This is nothing new, that God gets fed up with certain things. But let's look at some of the things that God gets fed up with. Okay, number one. We can go to the next slide. There are things that worry God. Okay, fake insincere religion wearies God. He gets tired of it. Isaiah says, Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are troubled unto me. I am wearied to bear them. Folks, you know how many people are meeting today in a church, in a sanctuary, in a tabernacle, whatever they want to call it, and all of their rituals and all of the activities they're carrying on means absolutely nothing to God and he's wearied with it. He's fed up with it. 
because it's not coming from the heart. It's just activity they think they're impressing God with. Go to the next slide. Right along this same line. Okay. Um, Not trusting in God, Isaiah 7. Moreover, the Lord spake again to Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask either in the depth or the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Basically, what was going on at the time is uh, the prophet of God had told Ahaz, Listen, if you're serious about serving the Lord, then go get in contact with God. Go find out what God wants you to do. And Ahaz, oh, no, I don't have time for that. I've got it all worked out. How many people in this world think they've got their uh, Christianity worked out with God? And they're not really interested in going to find out what God actually has to say. Too often, I talk to people all the time. Well, you know, I'm not a murderer. Or, you know, I hope my good works outweigh my bad works. You know, I'm not worried. Me and God are okay. They got it all worked out. Man of God says, why don't you go seek God? Find out what God wants. And the man of God warns him and says, listen, it's one thing to be a wearisome to a man, but don't you dare be wearisome to God. Don't you fake your religion. There are so many churches, so many religions around this world who are doing it their own way. And over the centuries, they've invented all these creative ways to make themselves feel good about how they're serving God. And they're not for one minute actually approaching God's word and asking God for directions. I am very thankful uh, that our church preaches from the book. That would have been a good place for an amen. Okay. Because you know what? There's lots of churches around that preach from tradition. Hundreds of years ago, somebody decided while they were sitting in some office someday that we should decide to do this, and it's been done that way ever since, and it makes absolutely no difference to God because it doesn't have any commandment that God has laid out. It doesn't have any Bible verses to support it. It was just some sort of man's idea to back it up. And God says, you know how much that wearies me? Yeah, I'm fed up with that. Keep going. God gave them a sign anyway, though. He said, you're not going to, I just had to throw this in there, because when you get that close to this verse, it's hard to not go to this verse. So he said, you didn't ask God for a sign. You didn't seek God for any information, but God gave it anyway. Okay, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. How can you get that close to that verse and not deal with that? It's such an amazing verse, especially when we're coming up on this time of the year. Ahaz didn't want anything to do with God, wasn't interested in what God had to say. He had it all worked out himself, but God made sure he put his two cents in anyway. I'll give you a sign. Okay, keep going. God is also frustrated. Well, before I move forward, this world of filled people who go to church, not to hear from God's word, but to try to act religious on their own way. And you know, it's real nice, real easy to point fingers to other churches. But how many times do we come here to this church 
and we got our daily activities laid out. We know who we got to see, what we got to do, and uh, we sit in our pews and stand when Matt says stand, sit when Matt says sit, and sing our songs when we're supposed to, and get given it good, good hearty amen when the pastor asks for it. Amen. But if we're not careful, can it, it can become a routine in our lives too, can it? God's not interested in routine. God's interested in a relationship. Thinking that they're earning some kind of credit with God, and it's just a weariness to Him. Well, if I go and pray these prayers, if I go and give this money, if I go and sit in that uh, pew 52 weeks out of the year, then uh, God better take care of it. He owes me. And God says, oh, really? It's a weariness. God gets fed up with it. Keep going. What else does he get fed up with? Our sins weary God. I think we don't have to explain this one very much. But I want to bring it to our attention. Thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices, but thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. I find that verse very interesting where it talks about you have made me to serve with your sin. And there's a verse in the New Testament that parallels this, and I want us to go there in a second. But God's wearied with our sin. Now, I know that's easy to point fingers outside of the church, say, oh yeah, all this terrible stuff going on, and we'll look at that in a minute. But how many of you here sinned this week? How many of you today? You know it's a weariness to God. As much as we talk about the fact that we can't be perfect, sinless, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be striving to have no sin in our lives. We want to be much like Christ as possible. Okay, What shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! It's a weird, he's fed up with this. And we'll keep it going, but this New Testament verse shakes me to the core. It's a sim, similar to Ephesians chapter 4. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You know, the moment you are saved, the, the Holy Spirit takes permanent residence in you. He now dwells in you. That's a special thing that a New Testament believer has that no one in the dispensations, the different histories, different time periods in the Bible has. Old Testament saints didn't have that. Once we get into the future, we're not going to have that either in the tribulation period and stuff. That is something specific to you and I. That Holy Spirit comes in and dwells within us. Jesus promised that Comforter would come and he would do things in our lives and be a part of us. Do you realize that that perfect God, the Holy Spirit, dwells with us, and every day, every moment you and I decide to go into sin, we're dragging him into our sin with us. You wonder why he's grieved. You wonder why that verse in the Old Testament says, you have made me serve in your sin. God gets frustrated. He's fed up. Because you and I want to do what we want to do, and we don't realize we're dragging that perfect, sinless, Holy Spirit of God right into the midst of that sin with us, and it grieves Him. 
You want a deterrent for sin? Because, you know, we, sometimes as Christians we have this struggle, don't we? Well, if God forgave me of my past sins, and he's forgiven me of my present sins, and he's going to forgive me of my future sins, then, woohoo! <laughs> Let's sin! Because it's all forgiven, right? Come on, and we're going to get to this other verse in a minute. But when you realize that you are now a vessel for the Holy Spirit of God, and every time you delve into the filth of sin, He is right there with you. And that Holy Spirit of God, who knew no sin before mankind, you know, Jesus Christ, to talk about one of the greatest uh, sacrifices of Him coming to the earth, is He left a perfect heaven to live in a sinful world. He never knew what it was like to have hunger pains or to stub his toe or to get burned by a candle or anything like that until he partook of this nasty old world that you and I live on. Well, you know what? The Holy Spirit didn't have any grief from sin until he took permanent residence within sinners like us. Talk about a good reason to not sin. We love our God. Why would we want to put him through that? But, we got a problem. Next verse. The words of God, what also frustrates him, what also makes God weary, the words of repentance with no action. Thou hast forsaken me, saith the Lord. Thou art gone backward, therefore I will stretch out my hand against thee and destroy thee, for I am wearied with repenting. I told you to hang with me this morning, and I asked God for grace on this, because this isn't easy to preach. Too often, we think God forgives us of our sins. We know God forgives us of our sins, so we'll just sin, and then ask God for repentance. And sin again, and then ask God for repentance. And keep doing those things that we want, because we know that God's going to forgive us, right? God forbid. He says, I'm wearied with it. Now this is where there's a dangerous verse. There's the Christian eraser. Next verse. Christians like to use this great eraser verse in the Bible. It's like a whiteboard, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, God's given us this amazing promise. If I sin... All I have to do is confess my sin and God will take care of that. Isn't that wonderful? So guess what? Let's just go sin. Because if I confess it, he's faithful, he's just, and hallelujah, he is. And he'll cleanse us and he'll fix that relationship that we break every time we sin. When we weary that Holy Spirit and he's just sitting in the back going, Man, I don't, expect, I don't know how in the world you expect us to have a proper working relationship if you're going to keep sinning like this, because I hate it. And we grab this verse and say, hey, that's all right, Lord. You said if I confess it. That verse in Jeremiah we just read said, God is wearied, fed up with our repenting. Oh, well, we'll sin, we'll just repent. God gets tired of it. 
God wants to know where we're really living at. Be careful. Malachi, we read this verse last week, right? Talking about the same thing. God responding to people who are repenting in tears and weeping and crying, so sorry. Verse 13. And these have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he, the Lord, regardeth not the offerings anymore, or receiveth the good goodwill at your hand. God says, I'm so tired of you coming up to this altar and putting on big crocodile tears because you're sorry for what you've done, but you're not interested in changing your behavior one bit. God says, you know what? I'm not interested in your offerings anymore or your free will gifts. It's just a weariness to me. I'm fed up with it. I gotta take a step back. Because sometimes I'd like to just preach about the love of God. How God just loves us all. And fit into the mold that a lot of churches go to every week. And not deal sometimes with the fact that God can't stand some of the things we do. As a matter of fact, keep going. There are two ways that God gets fed up in this verse we read this morning. Let's look at it again. Number one, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord. That's what they were saying. And that he, the Lord, delights in them. Now, I don't know if you've picked up on this in today's world. I was happening all the way back there, but it's happening a lot today, that there are standards in God's word that he has set forth, that there are moral commandments, and people are saying they no longer matter. And there are a lot of people that, say, that actually are saying that these behaviors which God condemns are actually good behaviors. And if you speak against those things, then you're the hateful person. Now, I know this is going on recording, and I know this is getting, can get me in big trouble in this world, but tough luck, this is what God's Word says. Now, please, I want to give you a little bit of ammunition as you're thinking. There are some things in God's words that are standards that he had set for the children of Israel. Okay, they're ceremonial parts to the law. Okay, and you will hear this if you get into any discussion with somebody. They say, well, if you want to hold to some of the things that God said in the Old Testament, that means you can't eat shrimp. You can't eat lobster or enjoy a, a good scallop. Mwah. Okay, and there's parts to the law that God made for the children of Israel because he wanted to set them apart and make them different. Okay, one of the other ones I'll throw up at you is, well, then you can't wear uh, something that's half cotton and half polyester because that's a sin against God's law. And yes, there are ceremonial laws that were designed for the children of Israel to make them different 
than the rest of the heathen world. God wanted to make certain things clear that God's people did it differently than everybody else did it. But just because there was something in the Old Testament law that was a ceremonial thing doesn't mean that everything in the Old Testament law is now default, does it? Because my Bible says thou shalt not kill in the Old Testament. Is that one still good? Or does that mean that one's no longer worth anything? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. Okay, there are ceremonial parts to the law that God gave to the children of Israel to separate them from the rest of this world. But there are moral laws that have not changed. Thou shalt not kill is not debatable. There are some behaviors in this world that you cannot call good according to God's word. Next slide. Throughout history, it's been a problem. And we definitely can see it today. The things that God has declared wrong, people call right. And the things that are right, people call hateful. If you speak out against certain behaviors in this world today, you're phobic. Put, your, put the name in the front of it. Homophobic, transphobic, okay, turtle-phobic. I don't know. I say that because it's getting so silly. Next slide. not the only time God has said this. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. People want to justify their behavior so they call it good, and they don't want to feel guilty by what they're doing, so they call the standard of good evil. And we're seeing this over and over and over. And I listen, there is, we cannot dance around this issue. It is absolutely solid in God's word. Man's concept of certain things in this world may change. God's standard does not. I heard a whisper of an amen. Give me more than that. Okay, thank you. I, the, we can't mess around with this, all right? Why? Because God says it's a weariness, and God also says next verse. He that justifieth the wicked and condemneth the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. Do you get that? Listen. If you see something in this world that you know is against God's word and you call it good, you are an abomination to the Lord. And if you go ahead and say those things which are good and the people are calling it, you calling that evil, that's an abomination to the Lord. I'm sorry now, listen, personally in my own life, it would be easier just to look the other way, wouldn't it? And say all those things, that so people can do what they want, that's fine. Yeah, they can, but I don't have to agree that God likes it. And remember what the, one of the problems was in this verse. And it said, he delighteth in them. You can go ahead and agree that people can live the way they want to live, and that's true. But don't you dare tell me that God is okay with that. God does not delight in that. It is a weariness. It is 
Somebody read that word, big long word, start with an A. Abomination. Romans chapter 1. Now you want to turn there, I don't have it written out on the screen because it's a longer passage. And God brings something to light in this passage and I'm not going to avoid it, I'm going to make it clear because it is something in this world that needs to be called out. But Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 21. Um, actually, go back to verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness... Now, this is contrary to people who want to say that this is all Old Testament. Last time I checked, the book of Romans is New Testament. For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him that from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts excuse me, to dishonor their bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections. Even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, receiving in themselves the recompense of their error that which was meet, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient. The book of Romans is written like a courtroom case. And like a prosecutor bringing forth accusations against mankind. And God lays out right here his start. says, listen, this world knows the standards of God. He's made them very clear. Okay? And we've talked about this before. You can go to tribes in excluded places in this world and they will have standards about murder and things that are in this world because God has set it in their minds. It is something that he has taught them from their creation. That little Jiminy cricket sitting on your shoulder, 
God put a conscience there to teach us. We know the things that are right. But I can't help to notice, guys, the one illustration that is brought forth to the forefront in this conversation that we're having about God giving them over to a reprobate mind because they're denying who God is. And in their own wisdom, they're coming up with all these ideas on how they want to uh, sin in their lives. God brings homosexuality right out here. And I want this to be very clear because this is a very, very foggy issue in Christendom today. God calls homosexuality a sin. It has never been different. From the book of Leviticus, through the uh, Old Testament, here in Romans, you can go to 1 Corinthians. A homosexual, homosexual relationship is a sin in God's word. Now please, remember the theme. Don't call evil, or don't call something that is good evil. Their problem was what God was wearied, what he was fed up with, is because God had set some moral standards and people were saying, oh no, that behavior's fine now. I want this to be absolutely clear. God has never allowed that and he will not continue to allow that. There are churches right now who are not only saying that it's acceptable by God, but saying that God loves it and God wants it and that is in direct violation to this verse that we're studying today do not call evil good and good evil it is an abomination I wanted to be absolutely clear and next week I might actually start digging into a few more scriptures for us to remind us of this okay the clear teaching in God's word is a relationship sexually between a man and a woman, and anything outside of that is sin. Okay? And that is in the confines of marriage, thank you, on top of that. But I want it to be understood. Now, listen, we're going to list some more things in just a minute because we're not done with this passage. So I want us to understand that there's more to this, but I can't avoid the fact that the one that God chose the Apostle Paul to bring forth right here in the midst of this illustration about God, people turning away from God and God saying, you know what? I'll give you over to a reprobate mind. I'll give you over to your lusts. I'll give you up. Now, I don't know about you, that scares me. God says, I'll give you over. Hey, you want to think that way? You want to go ahead. And then God says, oh, you want to act that way? God, go ahead. And then God finally says, I give up. The one illustration that God throws in the midst of this is homosexuality. He says, you know what it's gotten bad? When women go with women and men go with men. You with me so far? I want this to be understood. If you go ahead and say, well, Pastor Craig said, don't you dare do that. We're reading right directly from God's word. So I want this to be, but so we don't make this a message about homosexuality. I just want to make sure that God clearly says this is not acceptable. Let's keep going, though. Because we go, whew, I don't fit into that category. Hold on to your seats. 
verse 29. So he says, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, doing things which were not convenient, verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, wanting something that's not yours. Well, I don't have the newest iPhone. How come I don't have the newest? Anyway. Murderers. Ooh, ooh, this one hurts. Debate. Deceit. Malignity. Whisperers. Backbiters. Haters of God. Despiteful. Proud. Boasters. Inventor of evil things. Okay, everybody, kids, breathe in deep. Here it comes. Disobedient to parents. Oof. Without understanding, covenant breakers. You better, if you're going to make a vow, you better keep your vow. Without natural uh, affections, implacable, unmerciful. Listen, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit some things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. It's the same thing God said in in Malachi. He said, not only are you allowing these folks to do that, giving them license, but you actually have pleasure in the people who are doing those things. It's the same thing God says, it's a weariness. Now, just to throw a little thought in here for you, because some people will get freaking out about this one, because how many of you were disobedient to parents? You raise your hand, you liar! It said no deceit either. Okay? We were all just, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't raise enough. Okay? We all fall short when it comes to none of these things. And man, I could talk about this one. Do you, uh, just to, to make it seem that I'm not just harping on one thing, you look at our classrooms today. What they do with their teachers. You look at what they do with parents. I saw a couple of videos that were tagged together in a series of children just beating on their mother because they didn't like what mom had to say. Clean your room, bang, or they, they shut off the, well, the Wi-Fi till the kids did their homework. And the kid was pounding on his mother. And there was another video right after it of a, of a young girl doing the same thing. That hasn't changed. That's still a sin. And we can't say, oh, they just need Ridlin. No, I'll tell you what they need. God designed a specific part on the hindquarters. And it needs to be tanned a little bit. Because the Bible also says you spare the rod, you spoil the child. Well, you're a child abuser. No, I'm not. I'm a realist and I know what it takes. Discipline is important in your life. I want us to understand that we all fit into one of these categories, don't we? Now, if we're not careful the way we read this, it says, that means we're all worthy of death. Let me ask you, this is not a trick trick question, but how many of us are worthy of death? Every single one of us, aren't we? 
It doesn't mean we're going to be executed for it because God did something amazing through His Son, Jesus Christ. But is it something that we deserve? Absolutely. And see, we're getting to this point in this world that God warned us about several times in the Bible and He said, a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Guys, we can't get away from the fact that God has moral standards and they need to be held. We cannot give up on them. Please. And I know that makes us hateful. We're hateful because God says you shouldn't be disobedient to your parents. We're hateful because you shouldn't be a deceiver. We're hateful because you shouldn't be a murderer. We're hateful because you say homosexuality is a sin. God has a moral standard and he wants us to hold to it. Now, please, that doesn't mean we don't go out and show the love of Christ. Because you want to know an amazing thing about Jesus when he was here? He never went out and preached hard against sinners he preached love and forgiveness of sin he didn't start out sermons going all right you guys you're a bunch of filthy lowlifes let's go he went ahead and said come unto me all you are weak and heavy laden and i'll give you rest he talked about god's love listen there are sins in our lives that cannot be avoided We don't need to be reminded all the time about it. And there's a problem with some Christians, and this is why some of the world has really had a problem with this, because if all you do is harp on sin and not present the fact that Jesus is the cure, people get tired of it. He wants us to go out there and say, hey, guess what, this guy right here, Craig Fisher, this fella, he's a sinner. And he can't go a whole day without it falling. And that's cool because I know I'm a sinner. And I'm not going to try to say, well, those things that I'm doing aren't sin anymore. Yes, they are. But the amazing thing is my Savior, Jesus Christ, shed his blood to take away those sins. I don't have to pretend they're not sins anymore. I don't have to say, well, you know, times have changed and things like that don't matter anymore. Yes, they do. But what matters more is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all our sins. So when we understand that we don't hesitate to call sin a sin, please remember, the only reason God continually reminds us is that we're sinners is because he provided a Savior. You remember what the Apostle Paul says? The Apostle Paul said, you know what happened with the law? He said, before the law, I was okay. He doesn't say saved or unsaved. I was just kind of innocent walking around. He says, but then I read the law. And as soon as I read the law, I realized I was a sinner. It says sin revived. All of a sudden I realized, oops, I'm in trouble. And then I realized I needed a Savior. God doesn't point out our sin to make us feel miserable. He points out our sin to say, you've got something wrong with you. I've got the cure. So please remember, across the board in Christianity, we're getting to the point where we don't want to call sin a sin. But if you don't remind people they're a sinner, why do they need a Savior? If everything's just okay, then we're all okay and we're all just going to heaven, aren't we? No. Each and every one of us has violated God's law. And we need to understand that. And it hasn't changed. It will not change. 
But the best part about it, and how we end this sermon this morning, is the fact that if you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, there's not a sin that is greater than His blood. Past, present, and future. Don't don't make Him weary. Don't keep repenting and keep committing the same sin because God gets tired of it. Don't keep doing the same sin and thinking, ah, God doesn't care. He gets wearied by it. Don't say, if I confess my sins, he's faithful, he's just, he'll just forgive it. God gets tired of that. But rejoice in the fact that we may have violated one of these moral laws this morning. Good grief, it's not even noon. But the amazing part that we need to understand and that we need to remind people continuously, it's not about how vile our sin is, it's all vile. The thing that we remind people of is that curse of sin is cured by the blood of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. This is a tough sermon, Lord. There are times I'd love to just go someplace else, preach another verse. But you made it clear here in this passage, Father, that you are sick and tired of people calling evil good. And Father, you're also just as upset with the fact that people are saying that you are okay with that. You're not. You've never, you wouldn't have sent your son to die on the cross if down the road a couple thousand years all these things would be okay. Father, there's still sin. And Lord, that list we read, I'd love to say that I don't fall into that list even now. But I do. I'm a sinner. And I screw up. Father, I don't need to hold this cloud of guilt over my head because I know there are moral laws that I violate. It's a reminder of your amazing grace. It's a reminder of the fact that Jesus Christ came to shed his perfect, precious blood to forgive me of my sins. And so, Father, when we're out in this world, we don't need to give a pass to these behaviors. We need to remind them that it's something that God calls wrong. Not to make them feel bad, not to point a finger of judgment, to remind them that they need a Savior. That's why we are still here. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's why we're doing this. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that you're a holy God that has standards that have never changed. But Father, thank you that you are also a forgiving God that provided us salvation through your Son. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.